Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. Once again, before we get started with our sermon, I'll include what has become our weekly reminder to please uh, bring your Bibles with you to church. That way, as we walk through this Gospel of Matthew sermon series, The Impossible King, uh, you'll be able to underline things and, and take notes as needed. Uh, if you have your uh, Bible on your phone, that, that's fine too. Please go ahead and, uh, and take that out as well. And so we'll begin our sermon, Grace, Mercy, and Peace to You from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In our sermon verse today, Jesus uses this one word that we never want to hear Jesus say. Because it's scary. Jesus says the word, never. That unless of your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and let me give you an example of just how scary that word never when it comes from Jesus can be. There was a fig tree that Jesus encountered once, and that fig tree wasn't producing fruit. And I guess Jesus was pretty hungry. And he looks at this fig tree, and it wasn't producing fruit. And so he says, you will never produce fruit again. And that fig tree withered on the spot. And so when we hear Jesus say never, maybe we're tempted to wither right there on the spot as well. Because the sermon verse in front of us today that says, unless if your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, leads us with a couple different issues. First of all, I mean, we understand that the scribes and Pharisees, as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, they are not all that righteous. We get that. They're, they're hypocrites, they're sinners, we understand that part. But how far beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, does a person have to go? Like, like, how do I know when I've finally gotten far enough past the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? And the other problem is related to it. Because we know, if we've, read, if we've been reading along in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus is far more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, that's pretty obvious. You have Jesus who was baptized in the Jordan River, and when he comes back up, God the Father says, This is my beloved Son. So he has God the Father's stamp of approval. Not only that, but immediately he goes into the wilderness and he defeats every single temptation that Satan throws at him after fasting for 40 days. So this Jesus is definitely far more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, but is this saying, is, is this verse saying that we need to be just as righteous as Jesus is? Because while we know he's on a different level from the scribes and Pharisees, we also know he's on a different level from us. So what do we do? Well, first let's look at the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees itself. And again, that's not much righteousness at all. I'll go ahead and tip my hand and tell you that their righteousness really isn't all that much. John the baptizer, when he sees the scribes and Pharisees coming to him in Matthew chapter 3, calls them a brood of vipers. And Jesus will use the same words later on in Matthew's gospel, that they are a brood of vipers. And what's a brood of vipers? 
just a bunch of slithery, poisonous baby snakes. They are the reason why you don't go down in your basement. They're the reason why there's certain parts of your yard that remain unkept. We don't want to know anything about slimy, poisonous, slithery baby snakes. But this brood of vipers goes a little bit further than just the offensive image. Brood of vipers, again, are children of a mother snake. And who's that? Well, the first serpent we see in the Bible is, of course, the one that tempted Eve into sin in Genesis chapter 3. And so by calling them a brood of vipers, John the Baptist and later Jesus will be saying that they are children of Satan, that they are children of lies, children of unbelief and deception. But not only that, but baby vipers, just like big vipers, have one thing in their mouth, and that is venom, right? And so this venom is poisonous and deadly, and that's exactly what the Pharisees and scribes have in their mouths. If you listen to their teachings... You would hear the law pounded over and over again, so much so that as you, as you heard them say, obey God's commandments, and by the way, also obey these commandments that we've given you, in addition to what God has said, you would start to feel the weight of your sins so much that you would despair that God would ever want anything to do with you at all, let alone save you and welcome you into his kingdom. Or, listening to these Pharisees and scribes talk, you might begin to think that, well, They seem to be getting along pretty well. They seem to be pretty righteous. Maybe I'm just as righteous as they are. And so then as you hear them talk, you start to hear your own self-confirmed, and you begin to believe the lie that you don't need forgiveness or repentance. Either way, it's poison. Either way, it's death. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is that of preaching about taking care of the poor and widows while they did nothing about them themselves. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is talking about the need for everyone to repent and turn back to God while they didn't do that at all. So once again, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees isn't much, but we still need to pay attention to it. We need to pay attention to it because that brood of vipers had their own children, and these children live on today. So let's say throughout this week, you've listened to this sermon, and you know, we're online, so you can listen to it again. But for some strange reason, you get to d- get tired of the sound of my voice, and so you begin to seek a different sermon to listen to, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands to listen to. Hi, um, there are thousands to listen to. Benny just came up and talked to me. Now, some of those might be almost as good as the sermon you're hearing right now, I understand. But a lot of these may not have one mention of Christ crucified. A lot of them might tell you about certain steps that you can take to to live a godly life. It might seem to just contain God's wisdom, but if it doesn't have Christ crucified, it is no wisdom at all. We can go a long time without hearing that we are forgiven through either these books or or movies or, or, or different preaching. Pharisees, their righteousness... It's alive and well. So we need to look to a different kind of righteousness. And this is a kind of righteousness that Jesus offers us today. And he offers it in, in this Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew chapter 5. Who does he have in front of him? He has 
disciples that he's barely just called. Peter and Andrew, James and John. And he has crowds of people that he's preached to that one sentence sermon in Matthew 4.17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and then he's healed some of them. And so they're following him around, seeing what he'll do next. So what does he say to them about righteousness? And if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, and you can look at verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And here he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He's saying to these crowds, these unwashed masses, these rookie disciples, these baby disciples who are just only getting started, he's saying that you who feel the emptiness in your relationship with God and yourself, you who've had the law pounded into you so many times that you despair of any hope, you who think perhaps falsely that you have no need of repentance, hear me, you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled, you'll be satisfied. And then he says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. So you can move down a little bit, and verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. And then look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Perhaps we bury the lead for too long. What is righteousness anyway? Righteousness is simply this, being right with God and being right with others. Having a good relationship with God and a good relationship with other people. That's righteousness. It's simply that. And while we may not use that term, we may not use it in our daily lives, and we may only hear it here on Sundays, there isn't a person on earth who is not searching for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people especially the people in their lives. There's not one person in this world who's not on a quest for righteousness. And they are the crowds, just like the crowds that are gathered before Jesus. And to these crowds, Jesus says that, one, that emptiness for righteousness that you have, don't worry, that need is going to be met. It's going to be filled. And not only that, but you, all of you together, all of you together are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I am putting you in a new relationship with the people around you. Not only have I given you a relationship with God and made you righteous that way, I am putting you in a relationship with the people around you. You are a people of a common origin, my word. From my word you came, and you came to be. You are a people and a common purpose, that you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are that now. You are this community. You are a church. By his speaking, our Lord declares righteousness and gives it away to these people. They've done nothing. They have no degree in theology. They're probably mostly aware of their own sins and mostly aware of what separates them from God. And Jesus, with his word, wipes that out and says that you are now righteous. This is what we call passive righteousness. And it's a righteousness that's declared to you. 
Jesus, who kept the law fully and completely, who died on the cross and rose again, has not only forgiven you all of your sins, but he has declared you righteous. He has given you a relationship with God, a right relationship with him, and a right relationship with the people around you. He has placed you in a new community, a community of other brothers and sisters of the kingdom of God, where love and mercy and forgiveness flow back and forth to one another. He has made you righteous. And that comes without any effort on your part. In our epistle reading, we hear, we hear it said to us like this. Romans chapter 4, if you remember from earlier, we have the example of Abraham who believed and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul gives that same promise to us that we who believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also have righteousness credited to us. This passive righteousness is a full and free gift. But there is a different kind of righteousness still. It's a righteousness that's different from the Pharisees and the scribes, and it's a righteousness that's born out of this passive righteousness. It's different from the Pharisees and scribes, but it's connected and born out of this passive righteousness. It's active righteousness. So you've been brought into the kingdom of God. So you've had your sins forgiven. So you're no longer afraid of God and his judgment, but instead you rejoice over the mercies that he's given you. And so you've been brought into this community of people. And so you've been made right with them and they with you, all by Christ speaking. Great. Now all you have to worry about is every other day after that. <laughs> so Jesus talks about something even more, maybe another kind of righteousness. We can look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. If you have your Bible still open, go down to Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, and he says this towards the end of that verse, but whoever does them, whoever does these commandments, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does these commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is your act of righteousness. It has nothing to do with the salvation that you've received. It, goes nothing to, it counts as nothing towards your salvation. That salvation is given to you as a free gift. And now there's only one thing left to do. Love your neighbor. Not for your own sake, but for your neighbor's sake. Not for your own salvation, but again, to meet the needs of the people around you. This act of righteousness is amazing when you think about it because it means that at night I can go to bed in repentance asking God for forgiveness for all the things that I did not do and turning towards him and desiring to continue to be ever more his child and ever more obedient towards him. But I can wake up in the morning with joy knowing that that forgiveness is mine, knowing that God has given me all things in Jesus and so I can look up and say, what would you have me do now, Holy Spirit? What would you have me do today? This frees us from so much. It frees us from so much. Like that endless, tedious search that we have for meaning and purpose in, in our lives. The, that question that nags us all the time. Am I doing enough? Am I doing it the right way? Am I meeting my full potential? We think and remember that Jesus has done everything for us and that all that's in front of us to do is to love our neighbor, then we find plenty of meaning and purpose in the people around us and the people who are already there. 
and the ways that we meet them through our work, through our families, through our friendships, and in our neighborhood. And, and for those of us who are wondering, you know, I, I've, I've worked a full career, did my very best. I have served in 10 to 15 different ministries in the church throughout my life, and I can't serve in all the ways that I used to, and I'm running out of the energy I used to have. But will it all be forgotten? Will it all be meaninglessness? No. Because all of those things you have done in your act of righteousness will not be forgotten by the God who sent his son Jesus for you, who gave you the Holy Spirit at your baptism. He will remember those things in his kingdom. And that endless question about, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I pleasing God enough? Am I obeying him enough? This frees us from that as well. Because we know that Jesus has done it all. He has given us that grace and mercy and salvation. My works don't add anything to that. So I am free then just to think about my neighbor and to love my neighbor. And that love for my neighbor is actually the key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what I mean by example. I have had this conversation actually earlier this week. It happens when, you know, kind of processing a sermon. I'll talk about some of these things. So if you've heard this before, I'm sorry. But I used to play trumpet. I love playing trumpet. But I really wasn't very good at it. I was less than mediocre, and I knew it, but I enjoyed I enjoyed playing it. But every now and then, every so often, I would hit this groove. I would, I would I'd find my way through the music, and I would hit all the right notes. I'd be playing something that might even be difficult, uh, lots of high notes, and then followed by low notes, and, and lots of notes crammed together, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, thirty-second notes, and then other technical things, like a trill, you know, all that stuff. And I would be going through that, and every now and then it would be working so well, and I would be playing it so right, and then this thought would come into my mind. Zach, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're playing it right. You're finally playing it right. And you know what would happen right after that? Fall off the train completely. Be a mess again. Those who are great in the kingdom of heaven have no idea that they're great. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, don't think about being great at all. That will only lead you to sin and comparison and further burden. Instead, take Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And take it to heart. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Focus simply on your neighbor, and you're free to do that because God has your needs covered. He loves you dearly as his child. And so as one who has received all, every good work that Jesus has done, and as one who has had your sins cleansed by him, you don't need to worry or be afraid of the word never. Love your neighbor and rejoice in a God who has taken care of your forever.